Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. We are so glad to have you guys here with us. If it's your first time uh, to visit Rock Hills, we are honored to have you celebrating Christmas Eve with us. And what a great time of year it is to come and celebrate and experience Christ. The very fact that God came to be with us is just so amazing. So we're, we're glad that you made this part of your Christmas celebration, spending Christmas Eve morning with us here at Rock Hills. It's an honor to have you guys here. My name is Adam Harris. I'm the pastor here at Rock Hills. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. Now, we don't know the whole story about uh, this particular young man. We don't know the backstory about how he ended up, where he ended up. But we pick up on the story as we start in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We pick up on this story, and I don't mean to make it sound like it's some sort of Hallmark Christmas movie. Please, that's not what I mean. Because you all know where those plots go. But we do know something about a particular young man. He's not famous. He, uh, he doesn't do anything spectacular per se. He's a carpenter. He's just an ordinary guy. You could even say he's an average Joe. Sorry about that. Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about him, but what we do know is that somewhere along the line in his backstory that we don't see in the Gospels, he met a young lady. And something about this young lady captured his heart. Because we see in the Bible that they were engaged. So at some point, Joseph has fallen in love with Mary. And we don't know exactly how that first icebreaker conversation went. I mean, did their families know each other? Were they at the synagogue? Were they at the market one day and Mary caught Joseph's eye? And all of a sudden, he got up the nerve to go and talk to her? We don't know how it started. But we do know that it ended up at the place where at some point... Joseph got up the nerve to go to Mary's father and say, I would like to marry your daughter. And in that culture, they were betrothed, which means they were legally engaged. All right, so there was no, all right, I'm giving you the ring back. If you wanted to break the engagement, you actually had to get divorced. So Joseph, he was serious about this girl. He was serious about Mary. We don't know much about their hallmark romance, but we do know that this relationship was on track to be a divine encounter because they weren't just another Mary and Joe. They were a couple that was set to play a part in an event in history that would change the world forever. So much so that that is the very reason why you and I are here in this room today. What went on with this couple? Now, Matthew gives us an account that gives us a glimpse into Joseph's story. And Luke gives us an account that looks into Mary's story. The book of Mark actually picks up later in Jesus' life. It doesn't even talk about the birth story. The book of John talks about it, but in a very poetic sense. So we've got Matthew and Luke that give us details about how this moment that we celebrate every year in December came about. So we'll begin right where uh, Jimmy read for us in the scripture just a little bit ago. 
We have Luke 26 through 37 that tells this account. We're going to look at a few highlights out of this. In verse 28, we see an angel comes to visit Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So this angel shows up to Mary, who Mary would have been anywhere between 13 and 18 years old. So we're talking a middle school or high school age girl, what you and I think of when we think of a middle school age girl, a high school age girl. One night, she's in her bedroom and all of a sudden an angel shows up. And this has to be comforting and terrifying all at the same time because an angel shows up and says, hey, greetings, you are highly favored. Well, that's great, right? I mean, for any of us, but especially if you're a teenage girl, if an angel shows up to you and says, hello, I want you to know that you have a lot of favor with God. Well, that's great. But at the same time, I think any of us would be completely terrified because an angel has just showed up and is now speaking to us. So it tells us that Mary is greatly troubled. Part of the reason why she's greatly troubled is you have to understand it's been 500 years since God has interacted with His people. You see, all through the Old Testament, the first portion of our Bible, God speaks to people through angels, through prophets. When God shows up Himself, He speaks to people. And, and the people of God do this thing where they say, God, we're going to follow after you and after your promise. And then they end up breaking those promises and they go back and forth and back and forth. So God says, I'm going to send a Messiah that's going to be the solution to all this. But for 500 years, God just seems to disappear. 500 years is a long time, right? I mean, if we're thinking back to the 1500s, we would almost think, well, that's, that's just a fairy tale. But there's a group of people, the Israelites, the people of God, who have believed and, and held steady, believing one day, one day the Messiah is going to come. So now not only is it terrifying that an angel has just showed up and is talking to this teenage girl. But this angel is about to tell Mary, the Messiah, that everyone has been waiting for, for generation after generation after generation, farther back than you can even remember. The Messiah of the world is going to come, and He's going to come through you. So the angel goes on and begins to explain to Mary, the Messiah of the world is going to show up. What people have been hoping for, what you heard your grandparents talk about, what you've heard talked about in the temple, it's about to happen. And here's how it's going to happen. So the angel explains this to Mary. You're going to become pregnant with the Son of God. And I'm sure at that moment, Mary thought, okay, this has gone from weird to really, really weird. Because I'm sure she's sitting there thinking, Okay, my mom has explained some things to me. And, uh, okay, so she's having this conversation with the angel. How exactly is this going to work, right? I mean, one, an angel's talking to you. Two, an angel just told you you're going to be pregnant. Three, pregnant with the Son of God. Verse 34, she says, how does this work? 
verse 34 says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel explains to Mary, listen, it's okay. I mean, we would all be freaking out, right? It's okay. The very presence and power of God is going to put the Messiah into your womb. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could handle news like that. I don't know that my mind could even begin to comprehend it. How it would work, why would God choose me? I don't know, but we see this in Mary. Her response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing she couldn't sleep much that night with just the thoughts that were going through her head. Did that really just happen? Did I have that conversation? Did the angel really say that the Messiah is going to be in my womb? What in the world are people going to think? I'm not married yet, and people are going to know that I'm pregnant. How in the world am I going to tell my parents? How in the world am I going to tell my fiancé? Right? All of this had to be going through Mary's head. She had to go and tell Joseph before we get to the next scene that we go to in the book of Matthew. Because an angel's going to show up and visit Joseph too. But first, Mary had to go and have some sort of conversation with Joseph. And I can only imagine how that must have gone. Joseph obviously loved Mary. Because Joseph, even though, I mean... Put the brakes on. Your fiance shows up, guys, and tells you she's pregnant, and don't worry about it. It's God's child, right? Joseph, in that culture, had every right to absolutely do away with her, even to the point of having her executed in that culture. But this girl had such a place in Joseph's heart, he couldn't bear to do that. So he decided to do the only thing that he could do out of love. And that was to be as discreet as possible and call this thing off. We see that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, (coughs) she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to the Son of God, and you will give him the name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. So Joseph, in the midst of this heavy news, an angel shows up and he wakes up and he says, you know what? 
I love God. And I believe in the promise of God. And I love this girl, Mary. So even though it's going to cost me my reputation, even though in my small town everybody's going to be talking, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to marry this girl, and I am going to trust God. Mary and Joseph, just a young couple trying to love the Lord and who love each other. Now, we tend to fictionalize them, right? Because we've heard the story over and over and over again. And you probably have a decoration of them somewhere in your house or an inflatable Mary and Joseph that pops up at night in your lawn, right? So we kind of have this fictional Mary and Joseph in our minds. But what I want you to understand today, that this was a real couple, just like you and I. And somewhere in the midst of their real lives, God had an encounter with them. And they said, Lord, we will trust you and we will love one another. There's a few things that we can learn from Mary and Joseph's story. They trusted that God was present even when it didn't make sense. So as we continue today, I want you to remember this. Christmas reminds us that we can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. And I'm guessing there's some things in your life right now that may not make a whole lot of sense. Christmas is here to remind us. God can be trusted even when all the pieces don't fit together. Christmas also reminds us that we can trust God to do far beyond what we can. Because see, we try to figure it out, right? How is all of this going to work? What am I supposed to do? And there are times when we just say, God... I trust you to do what only you can do. I can't fix this myself. I can't make it better. I can't change what other people are going to think. But God, I can trust in you. And lastly, Christmas reminds us that we trust God by giving him our yes, even before we know what it will mean. Can you imagine this? Mary and Joseph both separately said, Okay, God, that makes absolutely no sense. And everybody is going to think we are crazy. But you have my yes. And I will trust in you. Christmas reminds us that we can say yes to God and trust in Him even when we don't know how it's all going to come together. Soon we'll come back in just a moment and we'll see that Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. For the Christmas story as we hit Luke chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to encourage you just stay seated. We're going to do service a little bit differently today. We want to give you an opportunity to reflect, worship where you're at, and just let the Lord speak to you about what Christmas truly means to us. The very presence and purpose of God has come to us. So we've got Mary and Joseph, this young couple who've now taken that step of saying, God, I give you my yes, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And as this is going on, Caesar of Augustus, the the political ruler at the time, he says, everyone needs to return to the hometown of your lineage to register for a census. Now, it would make perfect sense to you and I that we would, you know, 
fill this out online. Let me give you my info. I'll send it in. Or even you fill out a questionnaire and you put it in the mail. But at that time, they weren't able to have those choices. They had to go to their hometown. And so everybody at the same time is going to this small town if it was the hometown of their lineage. So here's Mary and Joseph. They're going to find themselves on the way to Bethlehem. Now, if you'll remember, when we looked at Scripture just a moment ago, Mary had to break some pretty big news to Joseph, right? And he had to put a lot of trust in Mary to go along with that. But now the tables have turned a little bit because I don't know how this came about. When, Mary, when Joseph goes to Mary, who is now all the way pregnant, right? I mean, she, she's in her eighth to ninth. She's almost there. And he says, listen, we've got to go back. And she says, isn't that like a hundred miles away? And you know, at this point in history, Joseph, we don't have cars or a plane. He goes and tells Mary, we're going to have to return. And it's going to mean walking and riding a donkey. This would have been, ladies, a nine to ten day trip on a donkey, full term pregnant. I mean, that is real love, right? For her to be able to say, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go stay at Aunt Elizabeth's again. I will go with you. I will ride this donkey for nine to ten days to go with you to your hometown. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their, home, to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Now, this is just a total bonus for you today, and I'm going to speak directly to you guys. Scripture says that she was obviously pregnant. Guys, you never have to throw that descriptor in there, obvious. All right? If she's pregnant, you can just say pregnant. You don't ever have to say, even though it's in Scripture, you don't ever have to say obviously pregnant. But we see with Mary, she was obviously pregnant. She's riding a donkey for nine to ten days, obviously pregnant. Now, if you were Mary, and I think, ladies, you can back me up on this, you better be thinking, okay, well, when we get to Bethlehem, I want a suite at the JW Marriott, right? I mean, you're obviously pregnant. You're obviously on a donkey for nine to ten days. It's a rough go. You would hope that when you get there, you have some sort of comfortable accommodations, but I'm not surprising you by telling you the story. That's not the way it goes when Joseph and Mary get to Bethlehem because there's an influx of people who have come from all over for this census. And when they arrive, there's nowhere for them to stay. There's no room in the inn. There's no friend's house that they're able to go and stay at. There's no hospital where they're able to check into because she is obviously pregnant. 
There's nowhere for them to stay except for someone who said, hey, there is a shed out in the back. Or it might have been a cave or a barn, but it was somewhere where animals would stay. You can go find some hay and make yourself comfortable out there. Now, we know it's somewhere where animals would stay because we know that Jesus is laid in a manger. And when we think of a manger, we usually think of our decorative sets, right? The manger set that decorates our houses. But a manger is simply a feeding trough, something that was used to put the the sheep or the, the cow, the goats, their food in. This is a water trough. Got another picture of a feeding trough here. And, and these are modern day, and they're still not very nice, right? These actually, these two troughs that you see right here, actually hold very special Christmas memories for me. And not because of the manger scene, but uh, this is from my dad's ranch, both of those pictures. And growing up, about this time of year in West Texas, sometimes we would have freezes. And if it freezes, the cattle aren't able to go and drink their water. So I can remember as a little kid, my dad would say, Hey, we have, we have to go get the water ready in the troughs because the cattle can't get a drink. So I got to go with my dad, which was cool already, but I got to get a hammer. And I got to go out there and hit the ice on those troughs and break them up so that the cattle would be able to get a drink. So I give you this just as an illustration of what a modern day trough would look like. Back in Mary and Joseph's time, it would have been much more primitive, made out of stone, some sort of wood, but something just simply to put scraps into so that the animals could eat. So obviously, no pun intended, this was the bottom of the barrel for a place to put any baby, right? Any baby that has just been born, this is not where you would put a baby, much less the very Son of God. The Messiah, who people have been praying for and expecting, is now going to enter the world and we're going to lay that baby into a manger. Luke 2, 6 and 7. And while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So here's the love of a mother. This is the best that it can be. And this is the Son of God. And this isn't good, but I'm going to make it the best that it can be in a very ugly situation. I couldn't help but as I prepared this, think of this mundane situation as this infant, this newborn entered the world, I couldn't help but think of one of my own sons. I have two sons. One is biological and one we adopted about six months ago. But when Nate was born, he was found, and we don't know the situation or circumstances, but when Nate was born, he was found wrapped up in cloth and laid on the corner of a street by a tree. It's an ugly situation. Maybe out of love, just hoping that he could have something better. We don't know how he ended up there. But when I think of that, it just breaks my heart to think that any child could enter the world into a situation that ugly. 
what we see here with Jesus is just as ugly, if not even uglier. Now, he wasn't abandoned, but he did abandon heaven so that he could reach you and I, which is really more of an abandonment even than being left on a corner by your biological parents to walk out of heaven to say, I want to reach you. Christmas reminds us of a few things as we look at this story of when Jesus was born. The first is this, is that God can be found in the mundane places of life. I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through or where you've been, but I know this. Christmas reminds us that God is there. If God can show up in a manger, He can show up in the middle of your divorce. If God can show up in a manger, He can show up on that day when you realize I'm broke and I'm beyond broke. When you have stress with your family, when you don't know what the next day is going to bring, God can show up in the middle of that mundane situation. Christmas reminds us that no matter how ugly of a situation you may be going through, God Himself can be in the midst of that. Christmas also reminds us that God came not to overwhelm us with power and might, but to win us with grace and love. You see, what people were expecting when they were expecting the Messiah is they were expecting a mighty ruler to show up and put everybody in their place. But God said, I'm not coming with power and might to lay down the law. I'm coming with grace. I'm coming to set a new kind of law and to give you love as my very own children. Christmas reminds us what God's mission is really all about. And lastly, Christmas reminds us that we can realize that there are no boundaries or limits to the creative work and passionate love of God to reach undeserving people just like me and you. If God can show up in a feeding trough, if God can be so creative to say, I'm going to send the Messiah so that you can all be saved through an unknown couple who simply trusted God in a very ugly situation, if God is creative enough to do that, I want you to not leave here today without knowing that there are no limits to the love and creativity that God will go to to say, I want to be your God. I want to be your Father. Christmas reminds us that He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has made a way to you and I. God is pursuing a relationship with us that has been divinely orchestrated for thousands of years that's older than Christmas itself. We believe in the message of Christmas when we believe in the wonder that we don't deserve it and we didn't expect it, but God meets us on our turf. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I heard a story recently 
of a young boy in World War II who was in a missionary school. And at Christmas time, he wasn't able to go home because of the war that was going on. And when Christmas Day came, this young boy was absolutely distraught and beside himself, and there was nothing that could be done to comfort this young boy. So he went to his room to sob by himself. Eventually, the headmaster of that school went into this young man's room and put his arm around him, tried to comfort him, and asked him, What is it, son? If you could have anything for Christmas, what is it that would make you happy? And that young boy looked up at his dresser and saw a framed picture of his dad who was off fighting in the war. And he says, I wish my daddy could step out of that picture and into this room right now. That's what Christmas is. That God has left the perfection of heaven to step into our mess, war-filled world to say that I am God with you. Our response, really the only response that we can have is to do what Mary and Joseph did. Said, okay, God, I trust you. Even though I don't know what it'll mean, all I can give you is I can give you myself. We're going to worship together, and I encourage you as we worship, let's give God ourselves. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that you sent Jesus into the ugliness and sin of our lives that we might know you that we might be your own sons and daughters Lord we're like Nate found on a street corner in the middle of the ugliness of life and you chose to come and pick us up and make us your own Lord we want to meet with you today in Jesus name